The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the rise and shine of gaming podcasts. For a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well, I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who is bright enough to make my mornings. Josh, how are you doing today? Oh, I am just fantastic. How That's are you? Pretty good. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So, you know, I've shared a few photos on the Twitter mm. of these new board game cabinets that are being built. Yes. And they're almost done. Very close to done. And right before recording our podcast this evening, it became time to move the largest piece from the garage to the basement. Mm -hmm. And there were multiple moments during that I thought I might die because we have pretty, (laughs) not super steep steps, but decently steep steps. Uh And this thing was really heavy. It was a situation where I wished I had a coach Mo in my life close by who could have come, picked it up with his one arm and taken it down the steps no problem. Whereas me and my partner, I think both almost died trying to move this thing. That doesn't sound good. It wasn't good. It got to the basement and nobody did die. But there was definitely moments of thinking, hey, I wonder how much I could have paid to have someone else move this piece of furniture. Mm. It was very heavy. I think probably the on its own is probably the heaviest piece of furniture we own at this point now. Did you have to pivot? Pivot. There was pivot was said. <laughs> we did have carrying straps, so that definitely helped. Oh. But yeah, I mean when you've moved as often as we have, you start to accrue some of those items. But yeah, so hopefully soonish pictures of this finished project will be shared completed. But the biggest obstacle or one of the biggest obstacles to finishing this project was completed, and now I kind of want to die. Well, that's good though. You must feel relieved to have the biggest part done. I mean, that is definitely a way to look at it as well. I am relieved for that. Uh, how, was your, how was your weekend, sir? It was Father's Day weekend. Happy belated Father's Day. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, my wife went away for the weekend, so it was a great Father's <laughs> Day weekend. <laughs> uh, I can't, I can't. Yeah, my wife was away for a bachelorette party over the on, on the Cape for Friday night into Sunday morning. So it was me and the little little guy for two days and got to sleep in my bed by myself with my arms stretched out and my legs stretched out (laughs) like a starfish. Uh, It was nice. And then I cooked dinner on Father's Day because, well, I like to do stuff like that. (laughs) No, nothing wrong with that. So So we're all, all fingers and all toes still accounted for? Yep. Uh, everybody, everybody part is still intact. Excellent. Excellent. And no yeah. sickness was had. No one got sick. <laughs> that's, also, that's also good. 
And today was our last day of school. Uh, so I transitioned into days for the next two months. Y'all get out pretty late up there. <laughs> or this is this is because normal. of snow? This is normal. No, we only we only had one extra day because of what? snow. Yeah. Man. I mean, the colleges were out earlier, but for high schools, like this is normal. This is, wow, this is super late from what I'm used to. <laughs> but that's because you get that president's week off, don't you? Or we is that have, only a New York thing? But is that in February? Yeah. Yeah, we have February vacation. So yeah. we have five days off in February. Do you also have a spring break in addition to that? There's an April vacation. Yeah. Y'all just taking breaks all, all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that was a that was a big controversy because there were so many snow days, and this wasn't such a big deal here, but I know more in other states that there were so many snow days that states passed basically snow day relief bills mm. that schools didn't have to fulfill their contact hours necessarily. But for hourly employees, suddenly they were just done. And so they missed out on, you know, X number of days that they were supposed to work that they didn't because the school was closed. Yeah. But now they just so that was a, an interesting thing to kind of consider that I don't necessarily know if it was considered as much when it came to just saying, hey, we're done. Now you just don't get paid anymore. Sorry. Yeah, we have to so. fulfill our day, our days. We don't have one of those forgiveness bills here. So they had a half day today because they had to have some, they had to be at the school today. So they gotcha. had a half day. Excellent. Well, hey, you know, we've chatted about random things, furniture, mm. end of school long enough. We probably should move on to the fact that, hey, we're a gaming podcast. So thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the very cool things that Josh is posting over on the Instagram. Also, Board with VG. If you check it out right now, you might see a pretty fancy looking game right now. Perhaps. We're, yeah, we are a proud part of PSVG and PSVG is on Patreon. We are absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our podcast with someone who you think might enjoy what we do. I do want to give a quick shout out, though, to our producers over there on Patreon. Coach Hulk, Edwin Kahlo, Barry Cathcart, Josh Borboni, Chris M., Devin Tyus, Paul Calico, and Benny Liu. Thank you so much for all that you do and for supporting us with your hard-earned dollars. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there is a podcast on the network that is right for you. So Josh, you know, we had E3, we had Origins, we had all of those super big shows that are coming up. And I thought that we'd have a regular show this week. But then in sifting through the news, I realized there's still a lot of news to talk about. So it's probably mm. going to be another news extravaganza. And then things will hopefully get back to normal. But we're also going to take a different take on the news in the in the video game section. So we'll have to see okay. what people if people enjoy it. It's going to be a little more hard-hitting news rather than, hey, this game got announced news. So we'll see how that goes. But... Josh, what's some of the big news in the tabletop world? Well, you mentioned it a second ago. Origins uh, just ended. Uh, uh, today's the 18th, whereas we're recording. On the 16th, they announced the 45th Annual Origins Awards recap, or the award winners themselves. <clears throat> so 
we're going to go over who won. <laughs> Sounds great. And we're going to start with Root by Leader Games won Best Board Game. It also won Fan Favorite, and it won Game of the Year, which I don't think was too surprising to us. No, that game has definitely won the hearts and minds of, of many, many people. So not super surprising to see that they were victorious. It, okay, so this one that was surprising to me. Um, the Mind by Pandasaurus Games won both Best Card Game and Fan Favorite, which Fan Favorite surprised me the most because we talked. you mentioned it last week or two weeks ago, how like some people love it, some people hate it. So I guess clearly the more people love it than hate it because if it was voted Fan Favorite, like right. not enough people were voting against it. <laughs> Right, very, very true. How do you remember how the fan favorite works? Is it this top X number of games that win fan favorite, or how do, do you remember how that works? I don't recall. Uh, oh, yeah, because Root also won fan favorite. That's right. right. Um, I'm not, oh, yeah, I don't remember how fan favorite works for Origins. So interesting, though, but yeah, it is. <laughs> the mind is definitely one of those games. The people who do like it, though, really like it. So I can see them wanting to come out in, in droves to support that. And maybe I feel like the mind is kind of a game that is going to excel at conventions. Sure. So if you play it there, you have the opportunity to play it. You have a good time. You might maybe get frustrated, but you still had fun while playing it. I can see folks voting for it then as a result, not just because they own it and think it's great, but maybe they've played it at Origins or other conventions and had a good time with it. So it's kind of surprising, but it seems like this might be a place that it could really do well just because of the style of game that it is. Yeah, it's easy to teach. It's easy to you know pick up and play whenever. So I get that aspect, but I, I think I played it enough that I don't necessarily want to keep playing it. Right. But like if you or me were sitting down waiting in line for something and you said, want to play the mind, I wouldn't say no. Right. I don't think. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm a little disappointed that villainous didn't win, yeah. but you know, the mind, it definitely has the hearts and souls of, of the board game populace right now. And it's definitely kind of one of those hotness games that gets talked about pretty regularly still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Next one was uh, Best Family Game. My wife will be thrilled to hear this. The Tea Dragon Society by Renegade Games wins for Best Family Game, which I'm a big fan of that game. So more power to him. Yeah, and that's cool. They've definitely had between this and then their games that won the Mensa Awards. They've been having a pretty good little award season here yeah. over at Renegade. For fan favorite family game, uh, Echidna Shuffle wins. And that's by um, What's uh, What's All Pog Games. I'm not. I'm. Oh boy. And that's just just look up Echidna Shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> that that is a mouthful. So okay, maybe this is my understanding. Is there a a gallery winner or a choice amongst the people who are official voters, and then for every category? Fans can vote. Yeah, but if if T if the mind and root one for fan favorite fan favorite in what category? Right, but card I'm saying if, if root yeah if root one in board game and then the mind one in card game because then if we have for family games if you have oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. T Dragon winning and, yeah. and then a kid in a shuffle winning. That's what it seems like. Yep. So maybe fan so. favorite in each category. Yep. We'll find out as we keep going, right? Indeed. <laughs> 
uh, the next up was best collectible game and fan favorite, Keyforge by Fantasy Flight Games. So yeah, it looks like it's in this each category. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited to see that. I, I don't know that I'm too surprised, um, but it's still nice to see them pull that out. Yeah, as, especially against, you know, that's the category that has all the big hitters of Pokemon and Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! and Star Wars Destinies in there. It's nice to see, you know, a newer game be able to kind of crack into that and say, hey, we're here. We're a pretty sweet game. People like to play us on Fridays and as well as Magic. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Richard Garfield's got Friday nights on lockdown. No kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, we have best role-playing game and fan favorite in the category goes to Vampire the Masquerade by Modifius Entertainment. Uh, good for them. Congrats. Enough to <laughs> yeah. say anything other than that. Uh, best role-playing game supplement and fan favorite goes to Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Morta Kanan's Tome of Foes by Wizards of the Coast. That sounds cool. That well, uh, yeah, it sounds cool, I guess. <laughs> do, do you not like the name Mordekanin's Tome of Foes? I think that sounds awesome. I mean, it's I guess it's a good name. <laughs> I, I don't know what it means. I don't know who Mordekanin is. Sure. I kind of know what a tome is, I guess. Well, I know what a tome is, yeah. But I just wonder who the foes are. The bad guys. Well, right. I, I understand <laughs> that. But how do you, you know, is this... Like, you know, not to spoil Game of Thrones, is this like Arya's list? Perhaps. You know, now that she has to start playing the game. And you'll I know. And how did, how did people be, get in the tome? How did they arrive there? <laughs> uh, next up is a big yawn from me because just coincidence. I'm just tired. Uh, we have Best Miniatures Game, uh, uh, Necromunda by Games Workshop, and Star Wars Legion Tide for best managers game. Yes. And then Star Wars Legion won fan favorite. I mean, if it won fan favorite, I feel like you just give it to her outright, don't you? Seems like that should be a good tiebreaker. I don't know. I guess. Yeah, that's that's probably a good tiebreaker. They they better come up with in the future their tiebreaking rules, you know, that oh, if, you know, after Roll voting a is Roll what's a Roll a die Roll. for tiebreakers. I'm just thinking of all the tiebreakers that I find in, in board games. Okay, so whoever Last person the, to visit a tomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever had the most votes after the first day. Yeah. You know, those exactly. people really cared more, so they win. <laughs> so if they're still tied, then uh best game accessory goes to Dungeons and Dragons Black Dragon Trophy Plaque uh by WizKids, which sure. Sounds interesting. I have no no clue what the heck it could possibly be. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, winner of uh, game accessory fan favorite was Dungeons and Dragons Monster Cards by Gale Force Nine. <laughs> uh, exciting. Uh, let's see. We have. I think we did. We cover the Hall of Fame inductees. Um, we didn't because they weren't announced beforehand. I don't believe. Okay. So fantasy horror illustrator Gerald Brom and prolific game designer Vlad. Chavato uh, were nominated or entered into the Hall of Fame. Vlada Chavato. Sure. Vlada. Oh, I said Vlad, huh? Yeah. Sure. He's got such a cool name. He has such an amazing name. <laughs> uh, and not to be outdone, uh, two board games were introduced into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mage Knight by WizKids and Apples to Apples by Mattel, which is very interesting. I, it makes sense, though, doesn't it? I mean, 
It's yeah, it's the it's the father of Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, it makes sense that it's there, but it is kind of cool that Vladimir Shavadal got in, and then one of his games got in as well. Yeah, he did Mage Knight, so that's pretty cool. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and then uh, Jamie Stegmeyer was awarded the Rising Star Award in its inaugural year. So that's pretty exciting for Jamie. That is. We had an award winner on our podcast. We did. <laughs> now we can say that we're a podcast with award-winning guests. Yeah, for so sure. Kind of think about how you place those words in there and just be like, hey, yeah, the award-winning podcast guests of Board with Video Games. Mm-hmm. So overall, any big surprises for you or pretty much what you thought would happen? Yeah, I don't know that I was going to be surprised one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's... I, I don't think the board game awards come around too often where there's big surprises because you kind of have like an idea of who the front runners are going into these things. Right. Very true. So, um, no, I'm, I mean, happy with all the winners. Just makes me want to buy a route more. Yeah. I'm still like, I wait till this fall. I'll have it, but it's a ways away. Oh, I've right. kickstarted it. Yeah. Yeah. I am looking forward to, because we'll in a couple of weeks here, beginning the Dice Tower Awards for 2018. Yes. I am very much interested in how those all shake out. So. I'm more interested in the Dice Tower Awards, I think. Um, not because we're affiliated with them, but I've always followed their their opinions more than like Origins or Gen Con Award winners or stuff like that. No, I agree. I think, too, just they have so many more board games, whereas, yes. you know, Origins has a lot of D&D stuff or I should say role-playing stuff and things that just don't quite fit into our purview quite as much. So definitely looking forward to how those Dice Tower Awards shake out. Yeah. Cool. So next we have some app news, some digital games. Uh, So first up, uh, Mystic Veil, since uh, released on PC, Mac, uh, on Steam, it's on iOS and Android. My wife actually has it on Android. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I purposely didn't get it on iOS because I'm switching over from iOS to Android. So once I get my phone in, at the end of this week, uh, Mystic Veil will probably be my first board game purchase on it. Oh, really? Um, it's going to be interesting because I have to rebuy all my stuff since I'm going from Apple to yeah to Android. And if I look on my phone right now, I have one, two, three, five, I have 27 board game Ooh. apps on my phone. And I would say I paid for 20 of them. And you're giving them all of those up. <laughs> and I'm giving those up to get rid of Apple. <laughs> wow. You must really hate Apple. Well, it's a combination of Apple and Sprint. So, yeah, I'm happy to get rid of both of them. (laughs) Um, You know, we don't need to be talking about why this is not the the podcast to do that. (laughs) Um, But for for our app news, this is from BoardGameGeek for Mystic Veil. It says, uh, yes, you can now play this transparent card builder on that device you carry around in your pocket. Um. Or on your PC. Uh, it does also include the first expansion, Veil of Magic, for free, which is good. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that means they will be releasing more uh, expansions. Uh, it's 5 bucks on iOS, 5 50 on Android, and it's $15 on PC Mac. PC slash Mac, it's $15 on Steam. I can say uh, I saw a, maybe it was Suzanne, uh, showing the difference between... Um, playing it on iPhone and iPad and there's a different layout for the game with the bigger displays. Oh, okay. Uh, I think maybe 
that's why PC is 15. It's probably a better experience. Gotcha. Uh, and you see more of the board, which is nice. But um, yeah, it's out there. It's a game that my wife loves. I am, I am fond of. I haven't played it enough to sing its praises yet. We've only really played it once, and it was at the AEG Big Game Night. Uh, the first bit, the first pack, unplugged. Oh, but gotcha. we own well. You own like all the expansions now, and the big box, and all that. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Mystic Veil vale overall, and it is a little interesting because you know the game is. I'm looking at its Steam page right now. It is fifteen dollars, and then it's another twenty dollars for all the DLC. That's if it's all the DLC though. That's pretty good for yeah. Well. Depends on what they added in. Okay, so it's missing. Never mind. It like it's ten dollars. Well, it's it's very weird because it says add all DLC to cart for nineteen ninety seven, but it's Veil of the Wild is five bucks, Veil of Magic is five dollars, but then there's a season pass for ten dollars. Oh, so they released the others. Right. Yeah. So really, I guess it's ten dollars for. Yep. And it, yep. So the season pass will include all three expansions. So okay. never mind. So it's twenty five dollars then for everything on PC, uh, which isn't bad. And according to their Steam page, it now has cross platform play. So if you have friends playing on iOS or Android or Steam, you can all play against each other. And that's pretty cool. Nice. That is good. Uh, speaking of board games uh, on Steam, <clears throat> Scythe adds invaders from afar to the Scythe app. Uh, so invaders of uh, from afar uh, introduces players to two um, new factions, um, Clan Albion and oh gosh, and the other one, <laughs> <laughs> who have deployed their emissaries to scout the land and plan their best strategy to conquest. Um, so you get two new factions. You get um, what else? Two additional players to join site, digital edition. That's good um, for up to seven players. The mm-hmm. expansion also adds two player mats, militant and innovative, offering players new strategies to master, uh, further further determining what they can bolster, upgrade, produce, deploy, move, build, trade, and enlist. All those things you get to do in that game. <laughs> uh, the expansion uh, is 10 bucks uh, to add on to the already existing version of Scythe. Indeed, correct. Cool, cool. And then uh, for me, what was big for digital was Asmodee finally did uh, two streams of Gloomhaven. Uh, they did a stream during E3 where they revealed they did a two two and a half hour stream where the, the, the developers, the designers played and kind of taught people how to play Gloomhaven which was a little excruciating to watch because <laughs> um, they didn't just play the game. Right. Uh, they announced a July 17th release date uh, for early access on Steam. Um, it will only be single player in early access. Um, they did say when I, when, I, <clears throat> when I responded to their Facebook post, I asked them, um, what's going on multiplayer and they did respond to me saying that it's in the works but will not be available during early access well at least they said that though at least they responded yes yep. uh, we don't have a price yet what do you I think the say, price is going to be oh that's a really good question because it there's a lot of game here mm-hmm. um and from what i could tell uh they they said it's not the exact same scenarios as gloomhaven the board game but it looks like they will be just as many. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's totally interactive. I th- I really think they could get away charging 60 bucks for this game. I don't think they will. I think 
we're probably looking at a $40 game. Um, but if they charged 59 I think that's fair. Do you think people in general, especially board game people, are going to balk at that price? Yeah, of course. because Only because there's an established board game prices already for digital versions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also not digitizing $120 board games. True. So, I mean, for single player, I think maybe $60 is expensive. Mm-hmm. But if they do something like $40 and then they charge like 10, 15 bucks for a multiplayer DLC or add-on or something, I think that right. might be more fair. Okay. Um, but they're going to want to make money. So I think $40 is probably the, the best way for them to get the bigger audience. Mm-hmm. But we also like we're in this industry where board game players who maybe want to get Gloomhaven, even like someone like Lucas who wants it, but he knows like he might not get to play it that much, but he has a PC. Right. And he wants to play it with his wife and it has technically local co-op. It's single player, but you control more than one character. So right. You could sit down with somebody and play the game co-op. Um, which I already talked to my buddy about. He's like the guy, the my friend who I play Gloomhaven with. He's well. He's like, you're gonna get it, right? I was like, I don't know. It's not co-op. <laughs> he's like, you're gonna get it, right? <laughs> you should get it because uh, the game looks great. If you got a chance to check out the streams, you can go on Asmodee's. Ooh, I want to say Facebook and probably their other social media. They put out like a shortened version of the first stream, so it's only like 20 minutes long instead of two hours long mm-hmm. with highlights from the stream. So. Uh, it looks great. So um, they did a really good job with it. Have you have you checked anything out uh, as far as this goes? I watched the stream for a while, and I think it surprised me. The game looked, and this is going to sound bad, I don't mean it to, it looked much more like a video game than I anticipated it would. Yes. It yeah, very it much looks like a strat, uh, turn-based strategy game. It, yes. it really surprised me in how much it looked like a video game so when you say the 60 dollars, i don't immediately say oh that's way too high but i do think that in general in the world of board game apps when you say 60 dollars, people are going to say oh no that's way too expensive but this is you know i don't know how much my partner would be into gloomhaven that's one of the reasons i've never pulled the trigger on it but this might be a way that you know I would get into it. So I definitely want to keep a close eye on this and see, especially what that price comes in at to kind of determine whether or not I jump in. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, speaking of video games and board games, we have some crossovers. First up city skylines is coming to board games via Thames and Cosmos, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, They're not, they are known, not not known, they are known for quality board games. So this will be interesting to see. And they're, I would say, w- would you argue that they're mostly family-friendly board games? Uh, I think that is a, a pretty reasonable, yes, I would say, yeah. Because they're the ones who did like or the puzzly exit. puzzly board games. Yeah, because they did like the exit games, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so I think in general, they're definitely a little more family-friendly or lighter weight uh, games as a whole for sure yeah so it's interesting to see how they'll do this it's going to be a one to four player cooperative um game mm-hmm. um where yeah, the you cooperative plan part and develop yeah you plan and develop a metropolis together um so uh, this is from dice tower news it says uh, to create this thriving city you will need to expand while keeping in mind pollution traffic crime and other problems that arise throughout the course of the game 
replayability will be high as there are multiple starting scenarios, which is good, uh, where, you, where you will build different cities with unique buildings as you attempt to keep the population in a good mood. I don't know that this necessarily is a game for me, um, with all that being said, uh, like population management and building management. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's awesome that they're, it's coming to um, a board game for like to the board game world. Uh, it's set to come out in October. Right. Um, what do you think? Is this interesting to you? I think it is interesting. When I look at it, it very much reminded me of New York 1901. Yep. And then it said it was cooperative. So then it's not New York 1901. <laughs> but, you know, for better or for worse, it looks like a lot of games in this genre. So I think, you know, it being cooperative and hopefully the gameplay will set it apart from other city building games. Uh, it's something I'm definitely interested in. The price is super reasonable. You can yep, because you can pre-order it now. So price is very reasonable. Um, yeah, and, you know, the publisher, like you said, has made traditionally good games. At the very least, they're good, if not better than that. So, um, you know, if you're willing to take a risk, this it seems like a pretty safe-ish bet. But, yeah, I'm definitely interested to kind of see how this all shakes out. Yeah, it looks cool. Pieces, The pieces are like... Um um tetris pieces mm-hmm. design wise which said you like city pieces inside those um so that could be interesting we'll have to see where that goes right <clears throat> also in the board game uh video game uh meshing uh, amalgamation if you will uh, we have company of heroes uh as being made into a board game by bad crow games it's on kickstarter um and yeah, it's a two to four player game. Uh, there's a solo and co-op campaign as an add-on option mm-hmm. um, that utilizes strategy to outmaneuver your opponents. Um, it's advertised as a real-time strategy game, but has the option of playing as a turn-based game as you attempt to build your economy to grow your army, participate in mostly diceless combat, upgrade your troops by investing in them, and choose your commander to complement your play style. Comes with 32 vehicles, 150 infantry figures, 55. It says mostly diceless combat, and it comes with 55 dice. (laughs) (laughs) 44 figure trays, 120 acrylic markers, and 12 production tiles. I can tell you as of the 18th, that's today, uh, they are sitting with seven days left Mm -hmm. on a goal of $100,000. They are at $504,000. Indeed. And uh, if you look at the game, it is very impressive looking. Uh, and it's it's only 65 bucks for a two-player core set. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want the, the the true core set for four players, it's 99 but, Yeah. And if you want all the other stuff that they kind of show, it, it gets quite a bit more expensive. Yeah. If you go, let's see, the full 195 for the collector's bundle um 150 for the battalion bundle which i think is everything minus whatever the collectors has but yeah they're not painted miniatures they kind of show you what they could look like um i mean this is definitely a war gamers game yeah um two giant maps but i think it's like a little interesting blend between war gamer and board gamer because it has like a like it feels like a board game game yep so it'll be interesting to see who gets this. Yeah, it definitely is that balance between, you know, often people who play hardcore war tabletop games or war do war gaming 
there's not a lot of there's either really old miniatures with you know they're they're doing the revolutionary war or there's just like chits and not actual yeah. miniature games there, there tends to not be a lot of between that and this is kind of doing the between it's giving minis that are tanks and things like that that you don't see all that often so i think it's interesting i think it's a cool spot to be in the production quality from what they show looks really good i think if you want all the stuff it seems pretty expensive but if you're just interested in checking it out and kind of getting in you know getting the two-player if you have one other person to play with um you know that two-player core set isn't that expensive Obviously, you're getting a lot more if you can bump up just a bit more to the core set or the company bundle. But overall, really not too bad for kind of what they're giving you. So, yeah. And it looks cool on the table. The pictures they show of it all set up has a table presence. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely looks nice. Um, Definitely lots of quality production in that game, which is good to see. Indeed. Okay. So this weekend, Toy Story 4 releases into theaters. People seem to be very excited. They do. It's getting, it's getting great reviews. It is. But we also have a new Toy Story game coming. Well, actually, we have two new Toy Story games coming this fall from the OP uh, or USAopoly for people who haven't caught on yet. Uh, these were announced at Origins. And we have Disney and Pixar's Toy Story Obstacles and Adventures. It's a two to five player a game that will take on the you'll take on the role of iconic toys from the film Woody Buzz, Bo Peep, and Rex, as they work together to overcome hazards and progress through a oh, that's poorly worded progress through a progressive progressing storyline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is on dicetowernews.com, Just so you know, this isn't from me or Kyle. Uh, the game will come with six boxes of cards, which will each be based off a different movie in the IP. Uh, so this sounds like it's going to be similar to the Harry Potter deck builder, uh, the Hogwarts battle, the way that it's set up. Mm-hmm. Um, boxes are unlocked, and then elements of each respective movie or show will be introduced into the game and bring new characters, antagonists, and challenges for players to explore. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I have it right next to me. I can probably just look. But, yeah, the OP did Harry Potter... Yeah. Hogwarts battle. So maybe this is a new trend we'll be seeing where they can take these IPs and just kind of move them into the system. They already have that works pretty well. Right. Real briefly, who's the fifth character you think? Well, they only name four. What do you Bo Peep and Rex? But they say it's for two to five players. So what do we think the fifth character is? I got it. Well, on the front cover is... Um, oh, I guess Jesse's on the front. Jesse. So I, yeah, so I guess it must be Jesse then. Yeah. Or it could be Jesse. It could be the dog. I got to imagine if she's on Slink. the... Slink. Yeah, but I got to imagine if she's on the cover that it's got to be her, right? Yeah. But also as you unlock more characters too as you progress. So I'm assuming there'll be more than just Even that. Five. That's true. Um, yeah, that should be interesting. Uh, I'm all on board. Like, I love Toy Story. And if it's working off that Harry Potter deck builder game, like what a great license to add to that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Cool. And that's ages eight plus. And uh, the other game was a Toy Story licensed collector's chess set. So 
that kind of fits in with the other branding as far as like the Monopoly versions of games and stuff like that. Definitely. Ah, all right. So on to the weird er news. Um, <laughs> Jurassic Park, the Chaos Gene board game was to become a thing by Mondo, who, if you know great art and posters and now even vinyl soundtracks, you know Mondo. Um, and they even have a, a very interesting game coming out from Restoration Games. Restoration? Yeah, Restoration's doing that, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so we don't really... Do we know what's happening with this game? No, because it was supposed to be out last fall. Yeah. So Mondo's... Um, well, I'll just read Mondo's uh, thing for it. So they said, we're celebrating 25 years of Dinosaur Chaos with the anniversary of Steven Spielberg's unequaled Jurassic Park. And Mondo Games is excited to unveil our next board game, Jurassic Park, The Chaos Gene. Movie fans and board game enthusiasts can expect exciting gameplay, gorgeous artwork featuring the immensely talented artist Matthew Woodson. The game will be available online on our website and in stores everywhere this fall. Uh, we'll have box top on display at Mondo's booth at San Diego Comic-Con. And attendees will have the opportunity to get a special Jurassic Park patch when visiting the booth. Now, I'm guessing this is from last year. Yeah, this is from July 28, July 12, 2018. Okay, so we have not had any updates yet. Nope. This was slash is to be a miniatures game, uh, which looks interesting. Uh, but Kyle also um, very kindly put in a link to the Reddit uh, to see maybe if there's any more info on what's going on. Because the um, big news is it got delisted from Board Game Geek. It's off BGG, at least out of the database. Yep. Um, as this person says, that's very rare for that to happen. <coughs> Pardon me. So I guess the question is, did they lose the license because they didn't get the game out in time? Or was the game just not ready? Did not look any good? Do they think they have to do a Kickstarter because doing a miniatures game is very expensive? Um, I think there's a lot of different things that can come into um, play. Right. And someone looked up info that the company, um, the team that was doing this had done a previous Kickstarter that failed. So that could also um, have something to do with why it didn't get any footing. But they have a lot of licensed artwork for this game. So I have to imagine that this game was pretty far along. I would imagine it still sees the light of day. I think it's just like board games. They aren't like video games where you typically see something get delayed a lot. So um, they might have just shelved it until they can get it finished. Or we might never see it, but it, it looked really interesting. Yeah, it did look really it looked really cool and is kind of disappointed that it just seems like maybe it went nowhere because the sculpts of the miniatures were really cool looking. Yeah. It just yeah, I don't know exactly what, what happened or or what's going on there. So it's super super disappointing. I, I hope we get an update soon, especially since this has now come out that, hey, it's not a board game geek anymore. And what's going on? I, I would hope that they'd announce well, something or give some update. Let me make a prediction. If you go to their website, Mondo's mm-hmm. website, it says fall 2018. 
So my prediction is if they didn't update the website and then maybe this is dead in the water. (laughs) (laughs) It very well could be, but yeah, it looks like they had done a ton of work for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. So anyway, sad news. If you're a Jurassic park fan, I guess you'll just have to keep playing dinosaur Island. Right. Which they basically just sent out another email today saying that they're working on more dinosaur. Yeah, they are. You'll have plenty to be excited about. <clears throat> okay, so now we're into the announcement roundup, which we I go at the same pace as I do as regular news. That's so fine. for people listening, we're in the roundup phase. <laughs> um, the Dice Tower Essentials line is expanding, and it is now adding a game that has been picking up a lot of buzz on the convention circuit, uh, Smartphone Inc. Um, by Cosmodrome Games. Uh, I don't know too much about this game, but they describe it as like a food chain magnate light um, two to five player game where you're manufacturing and selling cell phones around the world. Uh, at the heart of the game, players manipulate two double-sided cards, uh, creating their quote uh, pad. Uh, each half of the pad contains six squares of icons and by overlapping them in specific ways, players cl- create their plan for the round. Uh, visible symbols give actions for the round while covered squares add additional product for sale, but inherently limit a player's turn. Uh, so, yeah, essentially you're building a smartphone empire uh, in this game. Um, it's demoing at Gen Con Origins and Dice Tower Con this summer, and Arcane Wonders has stated um, that the awaited Kickstarter campaign for reprints will occur later this year. So... Arcane Wonders, I believe, prints all the Dice Tower Essentials games. Yes. So I think that's I think that's a that's big news uh in more ways than one because not only is it getting that Dice Tower Essentials like seal, mm-hmm. but it's also coming with a publisher. Yeah. Like if you get a Dice Tower Essential, you're getting a publisher for your game. Mm-hmm. Which also means you're probably probably not gonna see existing games. Like sometimes you get like the dice tower seal of approval or excellence, but this is something where like Tom's like, I want this game to be published by Arcane. I don't know like the deal he has with Arcane Wonders, where he can like <laughs> dictate what games they publish, um, but it must be pretty good if they'll like. I mean, obviously he doesn't walk into a room and be like, "We're publishing this game," and they go, "Okay." Obviously, there's conversations around that, but. Right. It's pretty powerful for a game uh, period to have those two names come behind it because Arcane Wonders is a great game publisher. Yeah, they definitely are. And, you know, really, the, when you think of the games in the Dice Tower Central lines, you know, you have Onitama and you have Sheriff of Nottingham. I, they've been really good yeah. games so far. So, yeah, just another, it sounds like, excellent game that you're right, has been very hot as of late uh, getting added to the list. So that's great. Cool. We have a new Robotech game coming. Are you excited about this? Nah, not really, but I figured, you know, Robotech's <laughs> a decent name. It's kind of one of those one of those that I, I've seen a lot of Robotech games. I don't know that I've ever actually played a Robotech game. Yeah, uh, it's Robotech Crisis Point. In fact, uh, someone, was it Seth? Someone in our Discord just posted people were playing a Robotech yeah. board game on their lunch break. Indeed. And I, I wish I could remember. Was it Seth who posted that? I will look I while you now. while you chat. I feel like I feel like it was Seth. Uh, so Solar Flare Games has announced a new game in their Robotech line of games. Uh, this is also from Dice Tower News, and so was the last story. Um, 
Robotech Crisis Point, along with a new smaller expansion for Robotech Force of Arms, uh, the Grand Cannon expansion. Uh, so Robotech Crisis Point is another head-to-head two-player game in the Robotech universe. The players are fighting for control of the Earth, using hand management, area control, and bluffing mechanisms in order to do so. So, I mean, that sounds good. I like head-to-head two-player. I like hand management. I like area control. I love bluffing mechanisms. <laughs> so it sounds like all those things sound good to me. Uh, it was Nathan, and it was actually it was Battletech. Uh, woof, I probably just committed a crime. <laughs> <laughs> because they look so drastically different from one another. Yeah. Sorry, fans of the two. Yeah. I basically did a Transformers GoBots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. sorry. And then I'm sorry for comparing one of those to GoBots. That probably was also unfair. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we're both not really interested in that one, so let's move on. <laughs> We have a game called Dig Your Way Out by Borderline. It's a game that is on Kickstarter uh, now. Yep. Okay. Uh, Dig Your Way Out. It's a two to six player game published by Borderline um, that puts players in the depths of a prison from which they are competing to be, I guess they couldn't get the prison uh, prison break license. Right. <laughs> you play Michael Schofield. <laughs> No, Scoville, <laughs> uh, by competing to be the first to escape. To do so, uh, you move around the prison to perform actions and equip yourself with tools and weapons that you can acquire through crafting, buying with cigarettes, oh, or extorting other players. Okay, this game, I guess this is fitting. It got dark all of a sudden. Uh, players can also get help by joining a gang. Oh, gosh. And using the unique skills and connections from their previous life. Ooh, uh, artwork in Dig Your Way Out is from, uh, oh, why do you do this to me, Kyle? Uh, <laughs> Mahajalo Dimitrovsky, a.k.a. The Maiko, I probably should have just said that, uh, whose art has been featured in games such as Raiders of the North Sea, Architects of the West Kingdom, and Viral. Well, you got me sold on that because the art in those games is incredible. Yeah. Uh, the game will be available in English. And French, the Kickstarter comes with an exclusive Officer Buster mini expansion. I'll give you some info on that Kickstarter now. I probably could have clicked that a minute ago. That's so okay. their goal was $14,000. It is now at $54,000. There are 15 days to go. Uh, a $37 US pledge gets you the full game. Yep. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, the art is interesting <laughs> uh, for the characters. There are cigarette tokens. I uh, <laughs> well, Josh, there are cigarette tokens and beating tokens. And beating tokens, which literally has teeth on the floor on them. <laughs> uh, there is a rogues gallery of character standees. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yikes, Kyle. This game is definitely interesting. Isn't it? <laughs> I put it on here because I thought this was really interesting. Number one, the theme. How often do you get a game with this theme? But number two, it has cigarette tokens that you use for currency, and it has beating tokens. There's toilet paper cards. There's a train card, a shiv card, a shovel card. (laughs) So let it be known, listeners, sometimes I often don't look at what I'm about to talk to you about, and this is 
one of the surprising <laughs> stories. So now that you've looked at it, though, are you in any way interested? Yeah, I kind of am interested. <laughs> I mean, I probably won't back it, uh, but I might pick it up at PAX. I'm sure they'll be selling it at Unplugged. So I just thought it was a very, very interesting game with a really unique theme. And I thought the art was very well done for what it's trying to uh, get across, if you would. The art is good. It's comical, so it's not to be taken too seriously. Um, it's super interesting. Yeah. It really is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would. If you if you're listening, just go to go check out Borderline on Kickstarter um, or dig your way out. It'll come up for both of them. Mm-hmm. And just check this game out and check out the art. Make sure you scroll all the way down <laughs> to the bottom of the page so you can see all the wonderful art in there. <clears throat> but wow, yeah, very interesting. Uh, speaking of Kickstarters, uh, Stockpile has a, an expansion on Kickstarter uh, called Illicit Investments Expansion. Uh, also, the Epic Edition is available to purchase. This is another. I've always heard Stockpile is is like great, and it's also being sold at fifty percent off. Uh, is that right? Because that's a great price. It shows fifty percent off here. Mm-hmm. That might just yeah. It's a it's a dice sour seal of excellence game mm-hmm. as on a goal of seven thousand five hundred dollars it has hit one hundred and one thousand dollars yeah uh, and a let's see fifty nine dollar pledge gets you the game and two expansions yeah or you can buy the expansions individually uh well you can buy one for 12 or you can buy two for 25 yeah it's kind of cool that you know the 59 dollars pledge the msrp of the items in the 59 dollars pledge is over a hundred dollars yeah 104.95 so they're doing it's really nice since they are selling direct to the customer that they're giving a very very good price and yeah if you're interested at all in getting in on stockpile which really is you know like you said a game that is well thought of people really really enjoy uh this is a way to get in at a very very reasonable price uh best described as what uh a stock market strategy game yeah i mean a lot of people are going to talk about you know they compare it to acquire a lot and that yeah you know this had come out first that this would be the game people talk about all the time instead of acquire cool 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 all right and the art looks great uh as well so Check that out too. Speaking of Kickstarters and crazy amounts of money, at a goal of $50,000, Thunderstone Quest New Horizons is sitting at $247,000. <laughs> and that's only because each game costs $2,000 to duck. <laughs> Not quite that much. Uh, if you are like Kyle, who previously got Thunderstone Quest, the big giganto collection, it will only cost Kyle $65 more to get the new expansion. <laughs> Correct. Uh, if you want to get the last campaign, the one that Kyle did get, you can get that for $120. That does not include the expansion. If you want everything, $250 will get you the game. $260 will get you the game with expedited shipping on the currently available version of the game, mm-hmm. which means they have a bunch of games just sitting in their warehouse that they can ship out to people. <laughs> so what they did, and because this is what happened when I backed Thunderstone Quest last time, is basically what happens is they over-order because I just got my game for 
Thunderstone quest when I so when I backed it, I did the expedited, and then you get the expansion like a year later of when yeah. it was supposed to ship. But when they do that um expansion, they they do another run of the base game yep. that they get at the same time. So that when since they knew they were launching another Kickstarter, they could expedite the base game and expansions to people and then they would just wait until that expansion came like a year later again. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they just have them sitting. They purposefully produce them knowing they're about to run another Kickstarter. And since they were just shipped a whole bunch of them over, might as well ship a few more. God, this playmat is insane. Yeah, ridiculous. (laughs) Oh boy, you get a playmat for 20 bucks. That's a pretty good price for the size of the playmat. Yes, for the size of the playmat, it is a good price. Okay, so if you are like me and you missed out on Thunderstone Quest, you can be like me and miss out on this one. <laughs> but at least they're giving you another chance. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> and it, it definitely is expensive. And to end our board game barrage, I'm not trying to steal the name. That is a, that is the name of a podcast. That is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Last Aurora by Pendragon Game Studios is also on Kickstarter. Uh, Last Aurora uh, is a competitive post-apocalyptic game uh, designed by Mauro Chaboto. Oh, boy. I'm sorry if you're listening, people whose names I pronounce. Uh, and it's published by Pendragon Game Studios. Uh, it's currently live on Kickstarter. Uh, in a world where radioactive dust of the last war has turned the northern countries into a frozen, desolate landscape, two to four players in Last Aurora will work to manage their crew to gather resources, recruit survivors, improve their vehicle, fight their enemies, and make challenging ethical choices. That's exciting. All while they race to each, uh, while they race to reach the last beacon of hope before it's too late, the icebreaker ship Aurora, which is looking for survivors. This is also from Dice Tower News. As well. I think you should just assume anything I read to you is from Dice Tower News, unless I say it isn't. <laughs> uh, it was funded in 18 hours. They were looking for $22,000. They are at 47000 with 14 days to go. You can get a copy of this game for about 44 US dollars. So Which really a, isn't a bad. Good price. Yeah. I, I was uh, trying to highlight a few games that were maybe a little more reasonably priced than what we have seen as of late, since you and I tend to bemoan the price of games. Yeah, no, and it, it, look, it looks pretty good. It reminds me of um, that game I have. <laughs> Just that one? Yeah, you know, that one that was like Mad Max. Wasteland uh, Express Delivery Wasteland, Service? Yeah, Wasteland Express Delivery Service. It reminds me of that. Uh, it's obviously not um, as big of a box, but even the trucks looks the same. The uh, resources are similar, except they're not tokens. They're 3D modeled pieces, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, I would say the character art reminds me of Dead of Winter, if anyone has played that. or seen Oh, yeah. It. And the board looks pretty cool. And they even have a play mat, which is even cooler. So I'm actually interested in this one. I wonder how long it would sit on my shelf before I played it. Well, you'd have it, you know, it's slated to deliver in February of 2020. Uh-huh. So you'd have time to get to all of your other games before you got to it. Interesting. So, well, that's not a bad price. 44 bucks for a pretty big game. And uh, I like the theme. Interesting theme. Right. One thing I want to bring up really quick. Hmm. Did you notice 
on the Thunderstone Quest Kickstarter hmm. that one of the items included in the pledge, when you pledge, it has tariff protection included. That's pretty smart. So it basically says that there will not be a change in shipping and handling if the tariffs go through as anticipated. That's good. So, yep. I like Very, that. It's scary too, but that's good that they include that. Yeah. I, but I do wonder for all these other games that are kind of finishing up now that, you know, what, if anything, is going to happen as far as all of those, you know, because the game production is done or they people have already played for production. Right. You know, if they slap a huge tariff on it coming in, is everyone's t- shipping and handling suddenly going to double or triple to cover that cost? Yeah. So, yep. Very interested to see how that happens or how that all works out. All right, Josh. So, we're going to transition and we're going to transition to some video game news. And, you know, E3 is over. So, there was, there's kind of the, the lull, if you would, after, right? That people are kind of sifting through the news and catching up with little things they missed and little, and reminders here and there about things. So I thought I would take a different spin on the video game news and we're going to go we're going to go a little deep here Josh. We're going to we're going to wade into the weeds here. The things that we don't usually talk about, the things that can be scary to talk about. We're <laughs> okay. we're, gonna, we're maybe even going to get political about some stuff. Ready okay. to do this? Ready to do this? I hope you're ready. <laughs> so dear listener, if you are hate this, <laughs> let us know. But we're going to go for it. So, a new report from Nuzu, who is an industry analyst who focuses almost exclusively on video games in the gaming market, has released their new global games market report. And that they're saying that in 2019, consumers will spend $152.1 billion on games. Mm. And that this is a obviously nine point, well, not obviously, but this is a growth from the previous year, a 9.6% increase. Consoles will be the fastest growing segment this year with a 13.5% year-on-year growth, resulting in $47.9 billion spent on console gaming. And mobile gaming remains the largest segment, which will have about $68.5 billion spent on it. So that's a lot of money, lots of billions being thrown thrown out there. Uh, The U.S. is now the world's number one games market. Uh, that the U.S. will overtake China this year, but likely go back to second next year. If you're not aware, China actually had a moratorium where they weren't approving new games for sale in the country. Yep. And that has now stopped. But because of the kind of the head start that the U.S. had on the year, they figured the U.S. will overtake it for this year. But likely China will be back in the driver's seat the year after that. So with all that money being spent... And all that revenue being generated, a political candidate, Mr. Bernie Sanders, yep. decided that, hey, he, he tweeted, I think earlier today or yesterday, quote, the video game industry has made $43 billion in revenue last year. The workers responsible for the profit deserve to collectively bargain as part of a union. I'm glad to see unions like at IATSE and the broader at Game Workers movement organizing such workers. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, we're getting reports from market analysts saying, hey, games are making a ton of money. We got political candidates saying, yo, workers, you should probably unionize. And then we have companies like Amazon 
who during E3 <laughs> laid off all the laid game. off workers <laughs> in their video yeah. game area. Yeah. So, uh, wh- who who's right? What's going on here? How do well, you feel about political candidates now talking about working conditions and things that game developers should do? So I saw that tweet today. Uh, I was surprised. I'm well. I, I shouldn't say I wasn't. I wasn't surprised that it was by Bernie Sanders because he's a very strong union supporter. Yes. Um, but uh, I was surprised that it was him uh, as far as the industry. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I didn't think Bernie was too hip to the video game industry. <laughs> well, I think Bernie is pretty hip to lots of things. So it, that I mean. It just, it is funny because it's like your grandfather's telling you about video games right? or your great grandfather <laughs> in this case. Um, yeah. I mean, we talked about this when Riot was, um, had their walkouts and I was talking about what my, my thoughts on the importance of a union are right. and how they would have protected them in that situation. Right. To interject really briefly and I'll let you back to your point. Yeah. I did not include the story about the state of California investigating Riot right now for, um, oh, how do they put it? I can't remember the exact word they use, but basically uh, very deliberate ongoing sexual discrimination. in the Yeah, all the sexual harassment yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is good that they're being investigated. It took their employees to walk out more than once to do it. But yeah, uh, he's right. We don't, we don't know how a lot of these companies work in video games, mm-hmm. but um, we also don't know that they're all being treated fairly. Right. And that's what a union does. Whether you're pro-union or anti-union, a union's job, whether they do that or not, is to protect employees and treat them all the same. So it should be protecting them from um, unfair labor laws, safe work environments, sexual harassment, fair wages, all these things. Um, That's what the union should be protecting them uh, for. And does every union work the way it's supposed to? No. But at least you have a, a a something to hold them accountable to a like baseline mm-hmm. for what's acceptable and what is not acceptable, and then you can worry about policing unions after that. But to establish a union, I think that's very important for gaming because we will at least know that people are getting paid relatively the same amount of money to do the same job in different companies, mm-hmm. which is important. Um, that CEOs or studio heads aren't taking more money than they should be taking for the work they are or are not doing. Um, I think all that's important. So it's nice to see that they're taking notice. It's too bad it's taken this long for them to take that much notice. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting that they're using China as examples and they're using a country that isn't necessarily known for fair labor laws uh, as an example of profitable market. So maybe when a dictatorship isn't, is is your example of um, making money for your country, it might be time to to analyze how it's being done. Right. And where that money is going. Yeah. So I want to vastly oversimplify things just for the sake of time, but, you know, labor, Labor unions in the United States really started at a time when there was a desperate need for uh, the safety and well-being of employees was basically being ignored at high-risk jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And at the time, auto manufacturing, mining, those sorts of jobs that were very risky to the worker, 
they were being overworked, underpaid. There, there was a lot of danger and risk that associated with the work they were doing. That's where a lot of you know labor unions sprung up from. Yeah, a lot of that style of job, not a lot, many of the, that style of job still have unions today. Some don't, but many do. With the stories we hear about the working conditions at you know different gaming companies, and Doug Bowser, I thought, did an interesting job of. People were really sad when they heard that Animal Crossing was delayed. And then Doug Bowser came out and said, well, right, but we could get it out this year, but I want my workers to have a good work-life balance. And suddenly everyone was okay with Animal Crossing coming out in 2020. <laughs> um, do we think with the stories that we're hearing, is it is it a situation where you think a union would be in, important? Have we heard enough of the bad stuff, basically, that we feel as a whole – Overall, broad generalization, I know there's going to be an exception to every rule, that working in the video game industry, for most people, is not healthy for them. Do we think we're at that point where, yes, for sure, 100%, we feel confident in saying unions would probably be helpful in this situation? Yeah, it's evolved. It's not physical anymore. It's it's mental. And when we hear stories about people having like meltdowns and going on leave from a studio for months just to get right in the head. Like there's a, there's a part of our culture and it's mostly um, uh, the generation before us that have this, like this snowflake culture where mm -hmm. they think people are soft and they can't handle things. Right. It's just evolved. It's just a different kind of thing. And, whether you're suffering physical stress or mental stress, you can you have to evolve with the way that the world is evolving and, right. and unions have to do the same thing. And then they, they just need to protect their employees from the different types of quote unquote injuries they receive at work. And, and if you have to work a hundred plus hour a week for more than a month and you're like straight, like that's going to do something to you. Like right. we don't know that it will affect everyone the same way. But that's what the union would be there for, to protect right. them. Yeah. So do you think, to wrap this part of this story up, do you think any other political candidates are going to step into the fray and discuss video games, video game workers, and whether or not they should unionize? Do you think this is a one-off deal, or is this something we'll hear more of in the future? Democratic, Democratic candidates will talk about unions. I can't guarantee it will be in the gaming industry, mm -hmm. um, in the positive light. Um and this isn't me picking a side. It's just history. And right. Republican candidates do not like unions. They will go against unions because that's where their voters are. So we'll, st we'll still see the same like political strategy and how can we manipulate this part of the world to vote for us. We'll still see that. Um, I think it would be refreshing to see maybe a Republican candidate pick up a pro-union Um Thing. Instead of blaming video games for violence, maybe we start looking into <laughs> why it's profitable and 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 if it can benefit the states or the country or the districts by getting more money into to the country, like to the cities, the states, the streets, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Yep. 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 Very interesting. When I was born in in far northern Minnesota, uh, mine country, if you would, uh, yeah. you know, and it's actually very interesting because it is a very very pro union area because most of the people who work in the mines 
are part of the union, um, it's also very, very conservative, which I always found very fascinating that they're very right leaning, but they also are very pro union, which you just don't see all that often. But I think depending on um, where the job is and, you know, we could get to the discussion of the Democrats have abandoned that base and all of those other things, which is probably for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A podcast so, I don't want to be on. <laughs> okay. We'll move on to a really way less controversial topic. So this is going to be great. So a recent uh, report that was published in Wired uh, is talking about whether or not representation, gender representation in video game protagonists has improved. You might remember a few years ago, there was a, a lot of conversation was started about the gender of characters in video games and who was on stage presenting at E3 and, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been some improvement as far as gender representation in presenters. That is something that has gone up slowly, definitely nowhere near 50-50 but something that is definitely growing. Uh, in the most recent poll, though, when talking about video game protagonists of games shown at E3 this year, 22% were male leads, 5% were female leads, and multiple options where you got to choose was 65%. So important thing to note that when this research started many, many years ago, I shouldn't say many, many, like five, uh, that multiple options was about 45% or so. And women or female was actually closer to 10%. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And men were at the 32-ish percent area. So men have dropped and women have dropped in favor of multiple options where you get to pick. But Josh, we hear all the time about how, you know, Every game is just being turned into a female lead, but it seems like maybe that's not the case. Yeah, I don't know that that's the case. <laughs> uh, this is such a yeah, this is such a divisive topic because no matter what I say right now, there's a group of people on either side that mm-hmm. will be furious. <laughs> yes, they will. Like I said, um, we're weighing into it tonight. We're going for it. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you see this in board games too. You definitely do. Um, people think that you add a female protagonist and then everything is better. Yep. And that's not the case because it needs to be way more. I, I think when you look at the protagonist by gender in the past couple of years, maybe you don't see a big jump in females because there's a lot, there's not a lot of new ideas out there. I mean, there is a lot, but when I'm talking AAA games, they're sequels and they're keeping mostly the same protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think you see a lot more female. Um, I don't want to use the word companion because that is probably <laughs> wrong, but sidekick companion, whatever the word you want to use, like dual protagonist in a game, not just like a choice between male and female, but both like a male lead and then a female like co-lead. I think that's more becoming more common, um, but it doesn't really matter because the numbers speak for themselves. Only four point eight percent in two thousand nineteen games were female protagonists, and it's never gone over ten percent. Yep, that's that just needs to change. People need to be comfortable playing as a female character, also, and. I don't know. Is the question, are studios not making them because they don't think they'll sell because of this Gamergate gaming culture? I mean, Horizon Zero Dawn seemed to sell okay. 
yeah, it, it's all great. And it's like more of that, please. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to see the multiple options shoot way up. Um, right. Yeah. The multiple options definitely has been the biggest increase where when you play the game, you now much more regularly have the choice between who you want to play as, which like you said, I agree a hundred percent is great that that is the bulk now really, that is the majority of games at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And only like 5% at this E3 was female. Uh, And we have other problems too. Like if you look at the division two, a conversation that um, Lucas and, and some of us are having, the rendering of female characters to male characters in that game, there's something wrong with that. Right. They, they didn't like. <laughs> it definitely doesn't look like they spent the same amount of time. There's something wrong with that. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to speculate, but the, right. you can definitely see there's something wrong with what happened there. Um, so there's a lot that needs to be done pro female in gaming. There's a lot of female gamers. Mm-hmm. Representation is important, and just because we're white men and we have representation doesn't mean that we should just be fine with it and then it's like oh hey it's fine i get i'm represented so i don't care who who isn't represented like playing a female protagonist to me has just as much if not more interest than a male protagonist yeah no I, i agree there i do think it's interesting because we see i feel like and i i'm sure this number still isn't even but in when we look at women in high-profile positions in gaming, I think you see actually a surprising, I shouldn't. I don't want to say surprising in the sense of it shouldn't be that way, but a surprising number of studio heads that are female. Yeah. But I don't know that you see a ton of creative directors that are female. So you, when you look at, you know, and again, I'm going to be able to name the ones I know off the top of my head, which probably is the handful that make it seem like it's a ton. But you look at Shannon Studstill at Sony, Santa Monica, and Corey Barlog, though, was the person who was overseeing God of War. You look at, um, you know, oh, why am I blanking on her name? The person who runs Media Molecule. Um, but there are people who are, there are women who are in high profile positions, but they're not the ones, quote unquote, making the games. Right. You know, and I, I wonder if you had, you know, even like Jade Raymond, you know, so I wonder if you had more female creative directors, because I think there is something to be said from the perspective of how well could I create a game from the perspective of someone who is very different than me? Yeah. How authentic would that game actually feel if I made a game about a African-American female LGBT person? I, I can't imagine. Maybe I really have this cool idea for a story but I can't imagine that I would be able to very effectively make that game feel authentic and genuine. Yeah. You know, and I think that when people get upset or angry about hiring practices or trying to bring diversity into a workplace or anything like that, this is kind of the reason that's important because I can only, I can only be as empathetic as I can be. I can never truly understand what those things are. And I think it's completely reasonable for me to create a game and have interactions that I have with my with friends and family and people that I care about represented as this is what my relationship is with my you know LGBT friend and that how I represent that in the game from my experience that would make sense yeah but for me to try to create that experience from their perspective 
I think is come starts to come off as disingenuous. And I think it's very challenging to do that. So I think when you see the good examples of it, it's because there is something there's something real there that only comes by having those people on staff or having those people in your studio uh, and, and working on these things. So right. And like on the on the flip side, so like this article says um it's worth noting that of the 15 speakers at Square NX event, only two were women and uh, only two of the 17 speakers of Bethesda uh, mm-hmm. were women. This isn't a ratio we just want to fix. This is going to take time because you don't right. want to just hire 15 women to do these jobs that aren't qualified because then we have a whole nother problem. So it's going to take some time mm-hmm. to get the this like fixed to get more women in game development. Um, and I mean, I mean, that needs to be taken account of for because we, we don't want that just like the bandaid effect where, okay. Yeah. We looked on LinkedIn and we saw, you know, 15 girls who just graduated from like their gaming college and we're just going to hire them. Like you still need to hire the right people for the job. Right. So, I think the biggest problem is, I would guess, as a male gamer, from what I hear, the biggest problem is getting women comfortable in gaming. If you know, this we're still in this culture where people are gross, hateful, and vile to women in gaming. Gotcha. Okay, now I'm picking up what you're laying down. And that needs to be changed. Maybe that's why more women are getting into the gaming industry. Right. And I just I was just reading stuff from Alana Pierce's Twitter and the stuff she has to deal with, right. and it's disgusting. And I don't want to just tweet back at her like, I'm sorry for what these people are doing and saying to you because she gets it all the time too. And I'm just another dude saying, I'm sorry, right. like that this is happening to you. But like, it's terrible to see stuff like that. And you know, I don't know. I just wish. People knew how to be civil and yeah. glorify. Like I saw someone, maybe I'm showing my age. Maybe it, this stuff doesn't like work for me the same way anymore. But someone posted like fan art from Final Fantasy Seven. It's just this, like over sexualized Tifa picture, and I'm like, can you just like this? That is not a practical way to fight any bad guys. Yeah. Can you just let it go? Like this is the only way you can see a female protagonist in a game is breast falling out of her shirt and this tiniest skirt you ever saw in your life. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. And it's a delicate line. You know, it, it's very, it's a challenging line to walk. Right. Cause I love Bayonetta. I think Bayonetta is an amazing game. I love, I love the character. I love yes. the games. And I think there are definitely, and that's where it's hard. Right. Cause there are but the folks- design, the developers are over-sexualizing the character on purpose. Right. But, and I think what's challenging in that is there are females in the industry who I really respect who say everything with Bayonetta, but that Bayonetta is fine. And there are some who say that she's not okay. And, you know, and again, this isn't, oh, my life is so hard as a male gamer by any means, (laughs) but you know, when trying to figure out the best way to support and the best way to, to talk about these issues, it, it, it can be, you know, it's a constant doing the best to learn and doing the best to listen and doing the best to understand as best as we can and moving forward. And yeah, we'll, we'll be see genuine. What be yeah. genuine about it. Like if you're like, I'm not saying that people can't like sexualized Tifa, but it's right. just not for me, but you should also be honest. Like if you like that kind of stuff, that's fine. Just say it, like admit it and don't like, 
I don't know. <laughs> this is a loopy wormhole I'd go down. Like sexualized fictional characters don't don't over sexualize real people. Don't sexually harass real people. Yeah, or fake people. Don't sexually harass anybody. Yeah, well, let's not sexually harass people. That just seems the best <laughs> idea. And I think the biggest, you know, and this isn't genuinely. I'm not trying to take a shot at this company because I do think that this was just par for the course. You know, PSVG hasn't been around all that long. We've been doing this thing, you know, play some video games as a whole has been around for a while. And, you know, board with video games obviously came from that. But, you know, I can't remember if it was the, I think it was the first E3 that we talked about that we had where Microsoft had hosted a, an event that had, uh, stri- yeah. that had, you know, strippers at it. Yeah. Strippers at it. You know, that, that wasn't that long ago. It really yeah. wasn't all that long ago. And they apologized after. But the fact that some, that people thought that was okay. Yeah, because that obviously took planning, and a lot and a lot of people had to look at that and Some, say, "Someone yeah. was like, I know where we're going, right? My favorite you know, place." <laughs> that, that isn't all that long ago. So, all right, moving on. Josh, video game actors. Yes. So you might remember, not all that long ago, they were on strike for a while. Speaking of unions, they went on a 340 day strike because they felt they were not being adequately compensated for their work the biggest one of the biggest things about that were residuals or back-end payments that if a game did well they didn't see anything else on the flip side after the game was shipped they got paid a flat fee and that was it now Mm -hmm. there's an article in la mag los angeles magazine from e3 talking about video game actors are still fighting to be treated and paid like on camera actors and the biggest thing that they focus on here is residuals and the idea of getting money if a game does well and that there is a back end that kicks in. Josh, should video game actors get residuals? Should they get a little bonus if a uh, game sell well? Yeah, pay your actors. I don't understand why this is complicated. Okay. Look at how much money people make for voicing animated Pixar films. They get residuals. Pay your voice actors. In fact, I would argue most video game voice actors are better than actors who voice Toy Story and How to Train Your Dragon. Wow. Because they do it as a job. They are professional voice actors. Throw Tim Allen under the bus. I'll throw Tim Allen under the bus every day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not Tom Hanks, but I have no problem throwing Tim Allen under the bus. Uh, yeah, pay your actors. They're, they're part of SAG-AFTRA. They're part of the same union. Yes, they pay are. your voice actors. This shouldn't be a debate. They shouldn't be treated differently. They are actors. It's in their name. Pay them. Pay them, pay them, pay them. <laughs> okay, so... And I, and I know I Go this, ahead, is a, do it. this is a trap question, <laughs> but Josh, uh-huh. you know, all the people who actually made the game, it's not like they get paid extra or back ends or residuals. You so why the, should the, actors... the best boy or the producer or the line producer or the cinematographer, they all get their own deals and I get in residuals. That's just how it works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for a, yeah, maybe they should too, but that works too. Now, directors directors get residuals. Um, some producers do. It's all part of their contract. They have right. different contracts than actors, and that's just kind of, you know, being able to act is a different skill set than being able to direct or produce or mm-hmm. be a cinematographer. So I think, I think that that aspect of the film industry works fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But these voice actors, they should be paid like actors because they are literal actors. All right. Well, we're going to keep moving on here. I told you. Not, that was kind of the softball of the entire That was group. an easy one. Yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so we've had this discussion on this very podcast, Josh, about video games and violence, correct? Uh-huh. Yes. And we said, hey, video games don't cause violence, right? I would still argue they don't cause violence. Okay. Yeah. So we better really hope that's true because <laughs> according to a new report from GameIndustry.biz, they got that good dot biz there. That's a very official. <laughs> yeah. Actually, game industry dot biz is, is pretty reputable. Okay. They are, actually are. <laughs> but 17% of the game shown at E3 can be classified as non-violent. 17%. Sure. So, Josh, does that surprise you? Does that no. worry you? <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me. In fact, I would be... I'm less surprised. I thought it would be a bit more higher percentage for violent games. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I actually thought it would be closer to like 10%. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, Nintendo, are they including Nintendo? Cause they weren't at E3. If you put Nintendo into that category, that percentage changes drastically. They, One they way counted or the Nintendo and they counted cartoon violence as violence, which, yeah. And that's, that's when people have to put in cartoon violence on the ESRB, that's a very wide variety of mm-hmm. wide range of what they consider violence. Like uh banjo kazooie banjo's using kazooie as a weapon. Like that's violence. Right. Smash Brothers violence. Like punching, kicking. I get it. So what they were a lot what, different than watchdogs. Yeah. So what they were going for is that they're trying to identify titles where the central mechanic was not death. So a football game, even though there's hitting is considered yeah. not violent. Whereas, you know, uh, the Lego Star Wars games, when all the pieces blow into a whole bunch of stuff, that counts as, that is death. So that counts as violence. So that's kind of, not going to argue whether that makes sense or fits perfectly, but that's kind of how they were approaching it, where the central mechanic of the game is not you killing people. Well, we got to revise that because football is violent, man. There should be higher percentage of violent games because... <laughs> Hitting people as hard as you can is a violent. <laughs> I, I probably yes, but again, so like I said, let's make it only fourteen percent of E three games are non violent. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I, I th- it doesn't surprise me. Uh, this will uh, this will always be an issue. In this this games and then music, mm. which has changed. It used to be right. music will always be blamed or always be looked. Some someone will look for these. Uh, inspirations in people's lives when they do something terrible it will always be the case so I don't think video games will ever escape that but th- but if they did E3 and 100% of the games are non-violent that's not changing anything right no absolutely because we still own all of those violent games at home yeah <laughs> uh, I think what part of what was interesting of they said there were 41 games that were considered non-violent shown at the show of those only 17 are from major publishers or platform holders. And of that 17, eight of them were games that were included in the ID at Xbox. <laughs> well, I so really we're down to nine <laughs> that are from major publishers. Because ID at Xbox is helping getting the game to the platform, but isn't necessarily working hand in hand to to develop that game per se, right? Yeah. 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 Microsoft featured 10 nonviolent games on stage, but that's the hundred percent. Driven by combat violence. <laughs> right. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, only seven 
percent of Nintendo's E3 direct titles were nonviolent. That might mm-hmm. explain why Kevin was so mad about Nintendo's conference could be. because yeah. they're not very Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, Animal Crossing was the only one that they considered to be nonviolent. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Kyle. What do you think? I just think we're just we're just in this violence is. It's part of our escape. It's something we don't do in our normal lives, which is why it's in our video games and movies. I would like to see, out of all the movies released in 2019, so far, how many of them were nonviolent? Yeah, Zero. I, I think, for me, I think the biggest thing, and they very clearly say in the report, this is not meant to decry the level of violence in the industry. This is not meant yeah. to anything like that. For me, it really talks about, and games are different. I... I don't want to say the lack of creativity, but part of me wants to say the lack of creativity where we get so stuck on how do you interact in this game? Well, you kill things that I don't want 80 walking simulators. And I'm not, but, and I'm not saying that we want all walking simulators. I'm just wondering, is there a different answer that we just haven't gotten? And what is that? And where are that? And it definitely seems like those are coming from the indie space. And obviously there are puzzle games and other things that, that fill that void. It, it just is very surprising to me that we haven't gotten that other thing or that other style of game that is really pushing into the market and taking a little bit bigger chunk of it than what we're seeing right now from these major trade shows. And obviously, who knows when you can you know look at the industry as a whole for how many are released each year? No mm-hmm. idea. This is obviously looking at a very specific point in time at a very specific event that has very specific goals. You know, but I think it's still just an interesting thing to kind of look at and just start to hypothesize and think about, you know, what else, what could be different? What are different things that we could do? Are there different ways we can approach this? Or are there other ways we can be creative when it comes to how we interact with games? Well, we need to figure out competitive gaming without violence. That's what it is, right? That's why everyone wants to kill because it's the competitive gaming part of it. Like maybe we need more. Well, I was going to say maybe we need more Mario parties, but that part of that game would be considered violent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, I, I do remember being a kid and when hearing about my parents talking about violence or trying to decide if I could watch something because of violence. And then I would watch Saturday morning cartoons when things would get run over by trains and eels. <laughs> so, like, well, whatever, I guess. So anyway. All right. Final story we're going to get into also from gameindustry.biz. Feel free to make fun of their name again if you like. They can they probably have the money to buy the dot com. <laughs> they probably do. They probably do. Just do it. <laughs> so it looks like that Microsoft has quote unquote one E3. And you might say, mm-hmm. well, how do they win E3? Well, according to GameIndustry.biz, they looked at the amount of basically press that was received after E3. And Xbox took up the most coverage with the year really focused a lot on Keanu Reeves. It seems like like Keanu Reeves and Cyberpunk and Project Scarlet really are what drove a a significant amount of the coverage and articles and social media and all of those things um, when it came to E3 2019. Now, if we'll say, you know, Microsoft, for every 100 mentions of Microsoft, Nintendo had 82 mentions, but yeah. PlayStation had 76. They still managed to get mentions at E3. I don't get it. And they weren't <laughs> even there. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Josh. Yes. If you're PlayStation, are you feeling pretty good about all this? I guess I don't. I don't. I don't feel good about PlayStation, but yeah, I guess they they have no reason to feel bad about skipping E3 because they actually now when you look at you know going back to 2014, every year other than 2017. PlayStation quote unquote one on this metric that game industry depth is using based off of articles, mentions, all that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, in 2017, Xbox had a hundred, whereas PlayStation had 98. So they were right there, but every other year, uh, PlayStation kind of handled the above. I'm actually surprised at how far back Nintendo is in yeah. all of this. because, And maybe it's just because of our circle. That's very heavy Nintendo fans that I feel like Nintendo gets all the coverage. Well, they were doing terribly until the Switch was announced. That's true. And they have definitely increased over the last couple of years significantly. So, yeah. But when you are now looking at this, you know, can you, it it seems like as far as they spent basically zero dollars and still got almost as many mentions as Xbox and really almost on par exactly with Nintendo. I feel like for the cost of zero dollars, you got to be pretty happy for your PlayStation, right? Yeah. I mean, they're they're not almost at Microsoft. They're decently far away. They're a quarter away. Dollar for dollar investment, I say they probably came out ahead. Yes. It is rather puzzling that there are that many mentions for the PlayStation brand. Um. So good for them, I I guess. (laughs) To give context, there were more mentions for the PlayStation brand this year than there were for Nintendo last year when Nintendo was there. Yes. Even two years ago when they announced the Switch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just Sony just has this built-in base that whatever the reason, I don't know what they were writing about. Is it like Sony's still not here? Here's more articles about Sony PlayStation. <laughs> well, I think probably more than anything, what it related to, if you look at all the top games, so they also listed the top video, 15 video games by number of articles or mentions. It yeah. was Cyberpunk, Final Fantasy VII Remake, yeah. Marvel Avengers, Jedi Fallen Order, Watch Dogs Legion, Doom Eternal, Breath of the Wild sequel, FIFA 20, Destiny 2, Gears 5. So you have to go down, what is that? seven eight to get to yeah. an xbox exclusive yeah you know you had a, a, a nintendo exclusive earlier and then it's fallout 76 elden ring halo infinite apex legends and the witcher <laughs> the witcher 3 oddly enough oh, <laughs> so, probably because it's coming to switch i'm guessing uh, i don't know yeah um but realistically of you know the top 15 games that were talked about only three of them aren't coming to playstation so i'm sure a lot of those articles said um, I'm oh, argue, this game is coming to this and this, you know? I'm going to argue it's more impressive than the Microsoft one because, by all means, Sony should have just been right in the same number as them because of all the cross-platform gaming. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an angle you can take, I guess. Yeah, that's the one I'm taking. <laughs> that's, you know, that they didn't do a stage show for or anything and announce yeah. any of those games, but that's cool. I don't know if platforms in the media, like this volume, like necessarily dictates. That's just media writing pieces. It's not necessarily like stage obviously it's not stage right right right. and it might not be what either of these companies monetize off of like their playstation is going oh we were successful they might just be like hey we were consistently in the media Mm -hmm. but we lost our four-year winning streak right right like you know our three-year well almost four-year winning streak 
Yeah. A little bump, a little hiccup from Xbox. Um, yeah. It makes sense that most of these games are also on PlayStation. I do honestly think they're still in the reporting because of people were just talking about them not being at E3 still. Like that was still in the media. Right. And still things were written about it. But yeah, like why PlayStation was smart because they did what Microsoft maybe should have done. Microsoft didn't really have a lot to talk about next gen. Mm-hmm. And and maybe Microsoft should have done a direct style. I know like it's the big show for Microsoft and they right. take and they they like to have their fans in the crowd and then they take care of their fans. That's their big thing. The mm-hmm. fan fast, having the fans come to the presentation like the press conference. So they go big for their fan base, which I really appreciate. And I'm not saying that Sony doesn't. Right. Um, but that's just why I don't think I, I would we would see Microsoft taking a step back from that. But if that was the situation where PlayStation's going, well, we have all these games we could show. Uh, but we don't really have anything we want to talk about console wise. So we're just not gonna go. Right. thinking that maybe Microsoft was going to do that, or maybe they already knew that Microsoft wasn't going to talk about much. You know, I don't really know like the insider stuff on that, but good for them, I guess. <laughs> I, right. I feel weird about saying that because like they didn't do anything. So good for them that they still got media like presentation, media coverage. Um, but I don't know that it's a case for Microsoft to not do it again. And I don't know that it's a case for Sony to skip it next year. Right, right. Because I think next year is a, the big year. This year is like the off year, the fluke year, which we have right. every, what, six years or so. Yeah, it it is very interesting that, you know, only so much can be gleaned from this. And obviously it's just an interesting anecdote. It's not... 100% indicative because who knows, you know, what the rest of the year will hold. This is a moment in time uh, of how things kind of looked and and all that good stuff. So PlayStation 4 had over 18,000 articles from E3 2019. Yes. They were number one in articles. Yes. Why? Keeping in mind, though, that Xbox One, Xbox Scarlet, and all that are split out as different things. Sure. But w- what did they have to write about? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think it's just that PlayStation 3 is on there. I know. So is Almost the Wii 2, U. Almost 2,000 articles about PlayStation 3. So At least the there was a game announced for the Wii U. That's true. There was a game announced for the Wii That's very true. Yeah. Well, it's okay. PlayStation 5 got just a couple more mentions than the PlayStation 3 did. So. Yeah. It's insane. And Xbox Scarlet far outshined PlayStation 5 as far as articles go. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's just, like I said, an interesting, I thought, anecdote about, you know, there was a lot of hemming and hawing about um who or whether this was a good move for them and even after the press conference there was a lot of folks talking about was this a good decision by them was this not a bad decision but you know a bad decision by them i think to me personally what this data shows is that this potentially could have been a good decision it depends what they do next yeah so because they still got some good coverage and they now have a place to I don't necessarily want to say counterpunch, but they now can put their story out or their they can control their narrative in the way they want to moving forward. So it'll be they have a good base to work off of, but they have to work off of that base. So, yeah. All right. Well, hey, that is it for all of the gaming news. And like I said, there was there was a big 
beefy boatload. We, for the video game portion, covered some topics we wouldn't typically cover. So if you kind of enjoyed that, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We're going to go and just round the show out and call it a night because we have been going for quite some time. And we want to be as respectful of everyone's time as we can be. (laughs) So, Josh, let's go ahead and leave our dear listeners with our recommendations for living a well-rounded life. While we're obviously a gaming podcast, we want to give you one recommendation, suggestion, or thing we are currently into that is helping us live that well-rounded life. Josh, what is your suggestion, good sir? Cook something new. You did that. I did do that. And how did it go? Was it delicious? It was amazing. I can't wait to cook it again. Um, Yeah, cook something new. Cook something that you've always wanted to cook or something you don't think that you can cook, even if you just like open up a cookbook or if you don't have a cookbook go to barnes and noble buy one of those clearance cookbooks or go online uh, if you have an idea of what you want to cook for me i want to say like six to ten years ago on the food network they were doing their thanksgiving live cooking Mm -hmm. thing so like alton brown all these people were in this kitchen cooking different meals for this big feast and giada De Laurentiis was there. Yeah. And she cooked drunken noodles or drunken pasta, which I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially cooking pasta in wine, yep. boiling away the alcohol, but you cook it anyway. So I've always wanted to, to try it. Uh, as an Italian, I've never heard of this. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very intriguing to me. So I decided, like, that's what I want to do on Father's Day. I want to cook my wife a meal for father's day so that's what i did i got a sweet red wine and i looked up how to cook i looked up so this is what i learned so we talked about the chef show last week and how it's like take your time with your ingredients Mm -hmm. so like everything i bought that i had not cooked with i looked up how to rinse cut and cook each individual recipe like each individual Mm -hmm. food Took me like an extra five minutes. It was not a big deal. Mm. Uh, and I felt much better about it. I felt much more confident about cooking it. And I thought it, it was awesome. I thought it came out great. It came out perfect. Like I had no issues. Everything cooked well. I probably needed to get a bigger um, pan, which I which I thought I was okay with. And it was a little shallow for what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um but without going into like the whole meal preparation, how I cooked it. Like, <laughs> um, and I can't wait to try something new again. We're also going to try that same recipe, but using a, re- a regular red wine instead of a sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought it was perfect. Nice, sweet, purple noodles. It was really interesting how it cooked out. And it tasted great. And I can't wait to do it again. So challenge yourself. Cook something new. Or cook something for the first time if you're not a person who cooks. Absolutely. Uh, and the reason you may not have heard of it is uh, drunken noodles, I think, are actually a Thai thing. Okay, so drunken pasta. Yeah, so yeah, drunken noodles, I, I believe, is actually a Thai dish. But I know that it is. We When I lived in uh, Fargo, we had a restaurant called Drunken Noodle. Oh. And it was excellent. Um, but yeah, I believe it is a comes from the Thai world. There you go. So, but yeah, I obviously fully agree and endorse the the cook something i made an offhanded comment to my wife about we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do in our backyard uh we really haven't done anything since we moved in here other than it is grass for our dogs to play in 
and we're trying to figure out landscaping and you know maybe next summer we'll do that and i made an offhanded jokey comment about having a putting a wood fire pizza oven in uh and she didn't say no so now oh. <laughs> <I'm> thinking <laughs> But you don't see many houses with a random wood fire pizza oven in the backyard. Just Fieri's house. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I don't really have a house that's very, I don't have this huge extravagant house. So I think it'd really be out of place, but I, I kind of want it. So anyway, <laughs> maybe I'll have everyone over for pizzas one day. But my recommendation this week is actually randomly when Josh and I, dear listener, on Friday night streamed on Mixer Dead Space 3. And Josh and I don't do this very often, and it was a very spur-of-the-moment thing. But we had a great time. Yes. And while we were doing it, my wife came downstairs and grabbed something from where our board games are and went back upstairs. So I thought she was learning a board game (laughs) to play on Saturday, when in fact what she was doing was a puzzle. Nice. And then on Saturday, she said, hey, will you do this puzzle with me? And in my life, I have never enjoyed puzzles, ever. Really? And I sat down. But you're a problem solver. I know, right? But I have <laughs> always found them boring. I sat down and I started working on this puzzle. And before I knew it, two and a half hours had flown by. Wow. I had just been like in this zone of working on this. And I had a phenomenal time. Nice. I really enjoyed it. So not only am I recommending doing a puzzle, but maybe if there was something you did that you used to do that you didn't like very much or kind of had this notion that you felt about it, maybe revisit it. Maybe you'd be surprised. And by doing this puzzle, we actually we discovered we only had one puzzle in our house. <laughs> uh, I bought two more puzzles. So now we have three. So I'm awesome. really looking forward to doing some more puzzles this weekend. We want to do puzzles. Um, do you have that puzzle roll-up thing? Because we want we need to get like one of those things where we can actually keep the puzzle when we're done. We don't. Because, A, we only had one puzzle in our house, but both of the two new puzzles I bought are the ones that are kind of like the plastic pieces. Have you seen the 3D these? ones? Yeah. No, not uh, the 3D ones. Plastic. They're like they're like stained glass. Oh. So when you're done, you can pick them up and hold them up to the window. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I thought that was really, I had never heard of it. There was a couple Disney ones. I said, this seems cool. Was <laughs> oh, there a little mermaid one? I'll have to get, I'll have to find one. Uh, one of them that I got is the princesses or some of the princesses. And the other one is just a whole bunch of like a big mosaic of a whole bunch of the movies. So, well, you're going to have to, you'll have to send me a link so I can check those out. At some I time. will do that. All right, Josh, yeah. what do you say we wrap this show up? What a great, stunning, marvelous idea. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, in addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with VG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with VG. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, you're, if you're not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag Board with VG. So please use that hashtag as well on all social media. Uh, whatever podcast service you are listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me online at Why So Serious on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. And I promise next week I will share my Switch code as I will be buying Catan for the Switch in two days. Oh, excellent. 
You can find me at all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.